Extra Time, Immaculate Grid. The bonus show for Generations talking about my sports generations. It is Grid 145 on Friday, the 25th of August. So as we discussed previously, we are going to take a little time to focus on a particular player today. And we're going to kind of try to keep that format. So we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. And then there's a couple of items that we need to clean up from yesterday. One, for whatever reason, I couldn't come up with 1980 Phillies. So the 1980 Phillies, Lonnie Smith absolutely won a World Series. And I said it was New York. It was Kansas City. I don't know. I don't know what I was. My brain was mush. And then yesterday, I kept saying yesterday's grid was 143. It was actually 144. So I don't know why it was one off. So I want to get that cleaned up. But we've got a lot of notes and stats for you. And then we're going to review a player that we've been talking about saying we need to review this person because he was up, he was down, he was maybe up again. Was he good? Was he not? I don't know. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But let's get the grid squared away. So on the columns from left to right, you have the Atlanta Braves in the far left-hand side. You have the Rangers in the middle, and then you have Hall of Fame on the right-hand column. In the rows, you have the Milwaukee Brewers at top. You have Les Expos slash Washington Nationals in the middle. And on the bottom, you have Chicago Cubs. So let's go ahead and start off with the career achievements as we normally do. So in the top right-hand square, we have the Milwaukee Brewers and Hall of Fame. So you had a handful of options here and not as many as you think. You actually had Hank Aaron. So of course, Hank Aaron was a Milwaukee Brave. Then Milwaukee Braves moved to Atlanta. But Hank Aaron's last couple seasons was actually back in Milwaukee as a Brewer. So you could have gone Hank Aaron here. You could have done Raleigh Fingers here. We featured him on a previous episode where we highlight the strike-shortened season of 81 and how he won both Cy Young and MVP. We don't disagree necessarily with the Cy Young that year, but we definitely thought the MVP win was a little bit of a stretch. So you should go back and check that one out. And as we've discussed, we've changed the descriptions for these shows. So before we used to have kind of boilerplate description, and then you had to click on the more to see the players and the discussion that we actually talked about. So we've actually flipped that. So we've put that into the top parts. You can see who we're talking about. And of course, you can always see the graphic for each day is actually the grid for each day. So you can get an idea of the players and the topics that we actually talk about but we made it a little bit easier for to search but if you want to go find that raleigh fingers if you don't see it in the top section click on the more and you'll be able to see raleigh fingers and we actually go through that cy young and and uh mvp season but you could have gone raleigh fingers here of course mostly an a but would go over to milwaukee and uh, win again cy young and mvp in that 1981 season. 
Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman's last couple seasons was as a Milwaukee Brewer. So, you know, kind of that late rando set of seasons. And then one of the staples, Paul Molitor. So Paul Molitor, of course, longtime Milwaukee Brewer. Don Sutton, the pitcher, he had his couple rando seasons with Milwaukee. 300-game winner. Robin Yount. So, again, another guy. Uh, I believe he's the only guy to win MVP at two different positions, shortstop and center field. So, of course, longtime Brewer. I think he only played for the Brewers. And Robin Yount is actually from Southern California. He and his brother actually played high school ball with a friend of mine's brother down here in Southern California at Taft High School. And then you had Ted Simmons, and this is who we went with. We went Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons was here at 2%. And we're going to do a little bit of a feature on Ted Simmons, but this isn't the main player that we're going to talk about. Uh, we're, that's going to come a little bit later. But Ted Simmons debuted at age 18. In 1968, so he's 18 years old, 1968. He's going to play 21 seasons in the big leagues. He would catch 1,771 games. It's going to come up a little bit more here in just a bit. So in 1971, he actually displaced Joe Torre at catcher. So Torre had replaced Tim McCarver at catcher in 1970 for the Cardinals. And then the following year, the main catcher became Simmons, and he moved Torrey to third base and a little bit of first base. So Simmons is kind of the one that, uh, you know, moved Torrey off of catcher. So he primarily was a catcher up to this point. He would finish his career with 50.3 war. That would be 12th all time for catchers. So for the catchers with war higher than Simmons, you have Johnny Bench at 75.2 leading the pack. And then it goes Josh Gibson. So not, those not familiar with Josh Gibson, Josh Gibson is actually a Negro League player and uh, widely considered one of the greatest catchers ever. But I mean, this goes back into the mid-20s, into the 30s. But if you look at his numbers, I mean, they're outstanding. They're, they're fabulous. But it's, you know, hard to get a gauge. There's not a whole – there's no footage, of course, of him playing. But uh, any scraps that you can find talking about him, widely considered one of the best catchers ever. Then you have Gary Carter, you have Pudge, you have Carlton Fisk, you have Mike Piazza, Yogi Berra, Joe Torre, Bill Dickey, Gabby Hartnett, and Joe Maurer. Now, including Simmons, all of these guys are in the Hall of Fame, with the exception of Maurer. And to be determined if Maurer is going to become a Hall of Famer or not. Also something interesting. Of the catchers that have a higher war than Simmons, Simmons caught more games than all of them, with the exception of Gary Carter. Carter caught 2,056 games. Pudge, he leads them all. He has the most games caught in Major League history at 2,427. And then 
Carlton Fisk. He's seven, second. He was for a long time the career leader in most games caught, but he is now second at 2,226. Torre has a higher war than Simmons for his career, but he only caught 903 games out of the 2,207 games that he would play. So he would play less than half his games at catcher. And again, Ted Simmons effectively is the one that uh, that moved Torrey off of the plate. Simmons would be an eight-time All-Star, and his best MVP finish would be 1975. He would finish MVP six. He would finish War eight. Now, that is Joe Morgan's first MVP of the back-to-back MVPs. He would have a war of 11-0. So we featured that on a previous episode. So go find that. That's the episode where we talk about Dave Parker. And we feature Dave Parker's career from 1975 to 79 and how Dave Parker is possibly, if he's not the best position player in the major leagues over that period of time, he's definitely top three or four with Morgan being one of them. And then a sneaky Mike Schmidt. Is it possible that Mike Schmidt was actually underrated before 1980? I I think that's actually the case. But in 1975, Ted Simmons would have 80 runs, would have 193 hits, 18 home runs, and 100 RBI. It would be his uh, second highest home runs and RBI. It would be his highest batting average season at 332. Highest on base percentage at 396, and he would have a slugging of 491. He would play 154 of his total 157 games at catcher. So pretty impressive. But he would go on in 1980 to the Brewers. He would be part of Harvey's Wallbangers. And uh, he's the guy, we talked about this the other day, he's the guy that just hits the Shinberger back at Joaquin Andahar in the World Series in 1982 and just lays Andahar out. So again, find that episode. You can find that episode. That was just a, you know within this past week, I believe. But yeah, Ted Simmons. But he comes in here at 2% for the Milwaukee Brewers. Then moving down one square, we are in the far right-hand middle square for the Les Expos, Washington Nationals, and Hall of Fame. So as you can imagine, there's really only one national that is in the Hall of Fame that played as an actual Washington national. The rest are all les expos. And so those are Gary Carter, Andre Dawson, Vladimir Guerrero, Randy Johnson, and they're all original OG Montreal expos, les expos, les les expositions. Pedro, he you know he would have his first two seasons with the Dodgers, and then he would go to Montreal. So you know you can't necessarily call him an original Expo. Tony Perez, he was originally a Red, and so then after the big Red machine in the late 70s, he would spend a couple of seasons in Montreal. Tim Raines, he's another original Expo, and then Pudge. Pudge Rodriguez, his last two years in the league were actually as a national. So in 2010 and 2011. So he is the only player that, you know, they're using the national logo here. But as a national, he's the only player that actually qualifies technically. 
And then you had Lee Smith. Lee Smith's final year in the big leagues was actually as a Montreal Expo. Not known, not, you know, of course, he's not really a Montreal Expo. Known mostly as a Cub and then maybe a St. Louis Cardinal. But Lee Smith's final season was as an Expo. And then lastly, Larry Walker. Larry Walker, original, original Expo. Well before Cardinals and, of course, Colorado. Then Chicago Cubs. Oh, by the way, far, sorry. We went Andre Dawson here at twelve percent is what we went. We went with we went with the Hawk. So then for the bottom right hand square, you've got Hall of Fame and Cubs, and we went Ron Santo here five percent. We were just searching for scarcity. That's all we were doing. We could have gone with somebody way earlier, I suppose, but I wanted to go with somebody that I actually played during my lifetime. I never saw Ron Santo play. It was too little wasn't old enough but i wanted to go with somebody at least that played during my lifetime so there are 11 hall of famers for the cubs during my lifetime greg maddox so he was an original cub and then actually after the braves he would come back and spend another couple of years back with the cubs and then he would have the rando seasons with the padres and the dodgers fred mcgriff so Crime Dog would come up in here as a Cub. He's going to come up a little bit later, but that was later in his career. Ryan Sandberg, of course. So 1984 MVP. That was when the Cubs went to the NLCS against the Padres. Andre Dawson, he makes another showing here. Of course, in the 1987, he wins MVP, leads the National League in home runs with 47. You have Goose Gossage. He would have his couple seasons with the Cubs. Now, Lee Smith, we just brought him up. So, Lee Smith last year was a Montreal Expo. His first eight seasons were as a Cub. Dennis Eckersley. And now his last two years as a starter were as a Cub. And so that was 85 and 86. And then he would go to the A's in 87. And then that's when he becomes. Basically, you know, starts his Hall of Fame, real Hall of Fame career as a, a as a closer, 1987. Ferguson Jenkins, so he's come up quite a bit, and he's going to come up again here later. But um, he spends his first season, his debut is actually as a Philly. And then during his second season, gets moved over to the Cubs. He spends eight seasons as a Cub, and then he would come back to the Cubs much later in his career and spend another couple of years. Bruce Suter, of course, we talked about Bruce and we featured him on an episode. So he is the answer to Hall of Famer, Cy Young winner, never to start a game in his major league career. That's Bruce Suter. Started out as a Cub, would finish as a Cardinal. Billy Williams, and then, of course, Ron Santo. So let's go ahead and finish off the rest of the grid because we've got this one player to kind of talk about and explore his career and figure out what was he because i don't know i mean i think at, at the end of this we have a conclusion but it's funny how his career went but let's just attack the rest of the grid so the top left hand side so that's atlanta braves and milwaukee brewers we went bj surhoff here so he was originally a catcher would play outfield and first base and third base but B.J. Surhoff here, 
Then for the Texas and Milwaukee, we went Rick Helling at 0.2%. So Helling actually is one of only like three players to be on both of the Florida Marlin World Series teams. So we would actually be on the 97 team, would leave, and then would come back in that uh, 2003 season when they won again. Jeff Conine is another that would be on that team. We talked about that oh, a couple of weeks ago or so. Then in the middle left-hand side, we've got the Braves and the Les Expos, and we want Otis Nixon here. We were talking about Otis Nixon the other day. We, we didn't remember Otis Nixon ended up going to Minnesota. Like, okay. But um, he was an Expo and, and a Brave, but Otis Nixon with 3%. We're going to skip the middle square. That's our last one. We're going to finish there with a player profile. So Braves and Cubs, we went with Crime Dog here, 2%. You know, you always got to give love to the Crime Dog. And then Texas and Cubs at the bottom, middle, Ferguson Jenkins, 7%. So he would leave the Cubs and then go to Texas and continue his Hall of Fame career. So here we are, the middle square, Legs Expos and Texas Rangers. And we went Bartolo Colon. And we've mentioned him many times, and we've been postulating, do we just need to finally break down and talk about Bartolo Colon? Now, Colon plays 21 seasons from 1997 to 2018. He plays for 11 teams. And this is wacky. His career arc is wacky. So from 1997 to 2002, he's on the Clevelands. He has one all-star appearance. In 2002, he has a half a season with Montreal. So he gets traded to Montreal. So between Cleveland and Montreal, he goes 20 and 8. So that's his first 20-win season even though he split it across the American and National League. 2003, he's a White Sox. 2004 to 2007, he's a Los Angeles Angel of California, of Anaheim, of Los Angeles, of Anaheim Angel. And he also gets one All-Star nod. And in 2005, he finished a Cy Young 1, War three ties for third in war, and this is his age 32 season. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. So he wins a Cy Young Award basically in his second season with the Angels. Johan Santana that year finishes first in war, and he finishes Cy Young three. And just as a note, Mariano Rivera finishes second in Cy Young that year. Johan Santana finishes 16 and 7. He's second in ERA in, with 2.87. He leads the league in Ks with 238. He leads the league in WHIP with 0.971. And he leads the league in ERA plus with 155. So that's Johan Santana. Mark Burley finishes War 2. He's a White Sox, of course. So, um, and Santana at this point is a twin. Apologies. So Mark Burley 
finishes with a war of 4.8, which is second. And he finishes Cy Young five. He finishes 16 and eight, has a 3.12 ERA. He leads the league in innings pitch with 236.2, and he leads the league in batter's face with 971. He finishes ERA plus at 144, which is third. But Cologne finishes 21 and six, so he leads the league in wins, has a 348 ERA. He's third in innings pitch with 222.2, strikes out 157 batters, and he's second in whip at 1.159. Now, I said Santana's .971, so pretty big gap between first and second in whip. And he finishes fifth in ERA plus amongst Cy Young vote getters at 122. So that year, the California Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Angels of Anaheim they are first in the West at 95 and 67. The White Sox, of course, finished first in the Central at 99 and 63. And then the Twins in the Central finished 16 games behind the White Sox. And of course, the White Sox go on to win the World Series. But Malone wins MVP, or not MVP, but wins Cy Young. So I'm assuming the narrative is having the 21 wins and being on a first place team pushed Cologne over the top. They didn't want to give it to Johan, presumably because the Twins were so far behind the White Sox. And then Burley having, I guess, you know, five fewer wins. Maybe that's why I, I I don't. I mean, again, wins, we use wins as a barometer, or at least I do, but not as a know-all, tell-all, see-all, because I think we've become more sophisticated now to realize that, you know, they could, pitchers only have so much that they can control as far as a win goes, and that really boils down to, you know, ERA or fielding independent pitching or ERA+. plus. You know, some combination of those to show their worth. But the fact that Cologne wins Cy Young won. Okay, maybe. And, you know, at this point, you're kind of splitting hairs. He finishes with a war of 4.0, you know, with, with two other pitchers, Kevin Millwood being one of them. And I believe Rivera also had a war of 4.0 as a reliever, which is always pretty impressive when you have a reliever that's, uh, you know, giving a war that's greater than four. So maybe you're splitting hairs, I suppose, between Burley and Cologne. But I mean, that is a 20% difference in war. You know, 0.8 doesn't sound like a lot, but from a percentage perspective, it is quite a bit. So Cologne wins Cy Young in 2005. So in 2008, he goes to Boston. 2009 goes back to the White Sox. In 2010, he's not in the league. So this is where you're thinking, okay, this guy's out, done, no longer. But he comes back. 2011, he's on the Yankees. And then this is where his career arc turns back up. 
2012 and 13, he's an A, and he's an all. He wins and he gets an All Star appearance. And then 2014 to 2016, he's a Met, and he just becomes this phenomena. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And he also gets another All Star bid. 2017, he's with Atlanta and the Twins. And then his final season at age 45, 2018, he's a Ranger. So that's what satisfies this square, Rangers and Les Expos. But from 1998 to 2005, he had eight straight 14-plus win seasons, including, you know, those the 20 win and total season between the Clevelands and Montreal. Other than his debut season and 2004, and in 2004, he won 18 games. But other than those two seasons, he had an ERA plus of 110 once, and then six out of the remaining eight years, he had an ERA plus of over 120. And he would have a high of 172 in his partial season with the Clevelands. So his American League ERA plus was 172. His ERA plus across both leagues was 147 for that season, 2002. So by all accounts, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, you know, top 10 between 1998 and 2005. And then here's things where things get wonky. So from 2006 to 2011, and again, he's not even in the league in 2010, he goes a combined 22 and 31. Whereas he just had eight straight seasons of 14 or more wins. And again, we used wins as a barometer, but if you're winning 14 or more in eight consecutive seasons, right, you're, you're impacting the game. You're impacting your team in a positive way. He only has 22 wins. He has 31 losses from 06 to, to 11. And again, there's a season where he's not even in the league. And at this point, his ERA plus, he's basically league average. It's like 99.8. It's, it's not a weighted average. And we can go into numbers and math a different time. But he's, his ERA plus is effectively league average. And, you know, he's averaged the less than average pitcher during this point in time. And again, he wasn't even in the league in one of those seasons. But then things get weird. 2012 to 2016, again, with the A's and then the Mets, two all-star appearances. And he goes 72 and 59. And across that period, he's got an ERA plus of 110 as an average across those seasons. And then, of course, for those that don't remember, he hits his first and only career home run in 2016 as a Met. And he becomes this cult hero during these four years. And he was kind of left for dead. He was basically out of the league just before this. Then in 2017 and 2018, you know, he's, he's Atlanta, Minnesota, Texas. This is his age 45 and 40, 44 and 45 season. He goes 14 and 26. And he has an ERA plus of 84. So 16% below 
league average. So what is Bartolo Colon? Is he an all-star? I mean, clearly he is. He has four all-star appearances. But he's got a sigh. He's not a Hall of Fame pitcher, right? What is he? So here are his career numbers. He finishes 247 and 188. So not bad, right? So he's he's winning quite a bit more. He's impacting the game more than he isn't. He finishes with an ERA of 4.12. He has 3,461.2 innings pitched. Strikes out 2,535. He has a career ERA plus of 106, and then he has a 4.15 FIP fielding independent pitching. So with a FIP of 4.15 and a ERA of 4.12, that kind of tells you that that's who he is. He is a four ERA pitcher. Like his FIP and ERA are almost exact. So that's saying that you are who, you know, they are who we thought they were. And he has a career rip of 1.312, which is a little beefy, along with his waistline. I guess we shouldn't fat shame. But 1.312, it's a little bit on the high side for a you know, Hall of Fame pitcher. If you know, I don't even think that even feels comfortable even having that discussion. And he has a 2.67 K to walk ratio. So that's really good, right? Anything over two is considered solid. And a 2.67, that's pretty good, especially for a starting pitcher. So what is what is Bartolo Colon? He was an all-star, a Cy Young, then almost out of the league, and then was out of the league. Then this kind of resurrection story, Phoenix rising out of the ashes. And then the two hang-on seasons. And those two hang-on seasons, let's call it what it is. I mean, he was 44 and 45. So his resurrection, you know, he was in his 40s. So what is Bartolo Colon? Is, is he just the definition of league average? Or is he the definition of just above league average? I mean, with an ERA plus 106 over his career, that means during his 21 seasons, He's 6% better than the average across that same time period. So is that what he is? Bartolo Colon? Eh, 6% better than the average guy during his career? Kind of a character? Is that where we landed? I think that's what he is. And with a FIP and ERA of almost exactly the same, I mean, it kind of says, you know, he's a four-ERA guy. So one thing that you will say, right, he comes up right in the heart of steroids. So he's pitching in the steroid era, right smack dab in the middle, and he survives. And we've talked about a handful of guys that started in the ERA, ERA, in the PED era and fizzled out fairly quickly or didn't, you know, fare as well, last as long, um, do as well. Russ Ortiz, he didn't last that long. I mean, he did okay. Had a 20-game you know, season. Sean Estes, he didn't make it. He didn't do that well. They're both giants. 
you know, fan favorites, but, you know, they got knocked around quite a bit and they came up, you know, kind of in that similar time frame. Neither one of them pitched, you know, 20 plus seasons in the league. So Bartolo Colon, I guess that's what he is. He's 6% better than the average major, major leaguer. There you go. So this is extra time. This is Immaculate Grid. This was Grid 145 for Friday, the 25th. The big show is tomorrow. That's going to drop in the afternoon tomorrow. Tomorrow is on Insert Replay with Steve and myself. And then, of course, the extra time show comes back every day, 9 p.m. Pacific. So check out those descriptions. You can find the different players that we talk about. And for you know, going back a week or two, you need to click on the more button to kind of see that. So apologies there, but we've changed how we do the descriptions. So you can be a little bit easier for you to find who we talk about. But with that, have a great evening and we'll see you tomorrow. It's Jonathan.